Are you familiar with baseball at all, Major League Baseball? Anybody? Raise your hand real quick if you've watched any kind of sporting baseball. Okay, like four of you. All right, let me just explain to you something. Okay, five, five, okay. Uh, in Major League Baseball, and sometimes college also, maybe sometimes in high school, uh, when the batter is approaching the, to the batter's box, he hasn't been uh, up to hit yet, but he's approaching the batter's box. They do this thing called walk-up music to really get the batter, uh, you know, fired up for, you know, what's, what's, what's about to happen as he faces the pitcher. And I've always thought it'd be great for a pastor to have walk-up music, you know, as he's walking up to the stage, getting ready to get in the batter's box to hit a home run. And I thought this morning uh, we'd go a little bit old school. I don't know if you can hear this or not, but this is Twyla Paris. Any Twilight Paris fans in the house? Okay. Uh, less than how many of you know baseball? Uh, but, uh, but that's okay. So Twilight Paris, can you hear it? Nod your head if you can hear this. You cannot. Okay. Well, forget that. Twilight Paris wrote this song called uh, God is in Control. You probably recognize it if I got to the chorus, this whole build up to God is in control. He's never out of control. And I think many of you would be in agreement with that. I remember uh, being in college uh, in between my first year and my second year of college. And uh, Mandy uh, and I had met. It was At the time, it was Mandy Mackey. And uh, we had met, and uh, we, were, we were really uh, trying to decide uh, what's next, what's next steps uh, in our relationship. Uh, you know, is she the one? Uh, am I not the one? You know, those types of questions that we're going through. And I was working for the Texas Department of Transportation, and I was out way far south, Mitchell County, in, the, in, my, in my home state of Texas, and uh, in a truck, uh, and it was lunch break, and so we're eating, uh, you know, the sandwiches or whatever we brought that day. And I remember just, like, pleading with the Lord, like, Lord, I really, like, I have no idea. Am I even supposed to get married? Like, is this a plan for my life? Like, are, are, you, are you hearing anything I'm saying? Like, is she the one? Uh, is there others? You know, uh, do I change religion and become some other religion so I can have multiple wives? Like, what? It, what is it, Lord? I just need to know uh, what what's going on, and I'm so confused at the at the moment. So, could you give me some direction? Could you give me some uh, some guidance? Could you give me some some instruction on on what I'm supposed to do? And I remember turning the radio on to uh, to uh, KGNZ from Abilene, Texas. It was the only Christian radio station that we had. I turned it on. And there, the messenger of the Lord, Twyla Paris, begins singing, God is in control. And it was at that moment I called Manny and said, we're getting married. We are getting married. Twyla Paris just spoke to me. God spoke through Twyla Paris to say that God is in control. And that was an answer to my prayer for sure, right? God is in control. I remember being in California at Saddleback Church uh, and uh, really searching the Lord's will for, for our family's life. Uh, we were there uh, at a conference, and I remember thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, I, I'm at this point where I just don't even know. Am I supposed to stay in student ministry? Do I change careers completely? Uh, will my, all my hair turn gray? Uh, will I always have a belly? I mean, all these, like, really important questions that we're, we're searching for. And at the time, Mandy and I were, uh, were thinking about going uh, back back to a place that we had served, uh, and we were just, Lord, is this really what you want us to do? It seems crazy. I mean, most people that we've talked to have said, no, should we, should we do this? We went to lunch. It seems like every one of the times the Lord speaks to me is around food. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. Uh, but we went to lunch, and we're there at Saddleback Church in their, in their cafe at their church. And uh, we, we look over the menu, and I see on the menu, and I think I've told you this story before, but I see on the menu the West Texas Burger. And so immediately I'm like, oh, this is divine. 
Like, this sounds like a great burger, number one, but for sure the Lord just answered my prayer. Twilight Paris isn't singing in the background, but the Lord just told me West Texas Burger, so I must, I must indeed. He's in control of all life, so I must, I must go back to, to West Texas. Can I just tell you, there is no southeastern New Mexico burger. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've searched on menus. Like, give me the southeastern, the SC New Mexico burger. Like, the BG burger is as close as I can get to it, all right? But, uh, but, but for sure, there's no, I haven't seen on the menu, like, uh, this divine thing. And God, I, I know that you're in control. So where's the most desolate place that I could ever move to? And I think you're going to move, move me there. And here, here we are. Have you done things like that before? Like, have you said, and I think you would say amen to this this morning, that God is in control? I mean, I think I look around and most of you are saying that God is in control. Is he in control of every moment or just a few of the moments? I mean, is he in control of the fact that you got out of bed this morning? Is he in control of that? Is he in control of the clothing that you picked out? Or did your mama pick it out for you? I mean, is he in control of everything? Does he control your breathing? Does he control when you wake up, when you lie down? Does he control how many times you, your heart beats? Does he control all these things? Is he controlling every one of your footsteps? I mean, as you're praying Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you're saying, I don't want to trust in my own ways. I want to trust completely in you, Lord. So, so guide my footsteps. Have you prayed that prayer before? Lord, guide my hands, guide my feet, that I might do what's, what's worthy of you according to your, to your will. And I think that we would all, most of us in this room this morning, would agree that God is in control. We would, we would raise our hands and shout with Twyla Paris. God is in control. No doubt he is in control. But how much control does he actually have? I want to talk about something very serious. Did he control your mouth to say Jesus is Lord? Did he control your singing to him this morning? Did he control your decision to follow him? Is he in control of all those things? No doubt we would say God is in control. He's in control of the past. He's in control of the future. We trust in that. I've heard many of our prayers together. Lord, we don't know what's going on in Santa Fe or Washington, D.C. or Hobbs, for that matter. And so we're just asking God that you would work. We want things to be done in your will. We know that you're in control. And so we're trusting in your control. And then we say amen, and we turn on the news, and we say, is he really in control? Is he really in control of what's happening? I mean, these are some difficult topics. It's easy, very easy for us to say God is in control. And I think when we start digging down deep into that statement, we get to some hearts, a heart of the matter. We get to a, a point where we're really having to think about our view of God, our theology of God. And I, and I would dare say this, that in our Southern Baptist world, uh, most of the time, the reason why we go to a church is not necessarily uh, how we view God or how we view uh, God's actions or how we even view our daily life. But instead, most of the time, we, we pick a church concerning like what, what we think is best. Uh, you know, what, what side of the, of the line we think is the best side of the line. Or, or in our world today, we say camps. Uh, what, what camp is the best to be a part of? And that's why I say when we talk about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility, and I joked about it er earlier being sarcastic, it is not an easy topic to talk about. Because yes, God is in control, and there's also some human responsibility. I mean, would you agree with me? You can or you can disagree that uh, God is in control. And that change that we changing anything is not really ever going to change God's control. I mean, maybe you would agree with that. 
Or maybe you would agree with the statement like, I can pray enough and say enough and work hard enough that if I'm doing all these things that God desires of me, that change can happen. And we can change the course of history. I mean, can any of your actions in the past or the future change the control of God, the sovereignty of God? I mean, those are difficult things to think through. And Zechariah, as we study it, I think that the Old Testament people, the people belonging to God, had a sense of God's sovereignty, had a sense of His lordship, His kingship, His authority. And I don't know that they had a great balance of it, because I think balance is somewhat of a myth in our lives. But they also had an understanding of their human responsibility in life. So I'm going to talk about those two things this morning. We're going to read through some of Zechariah chapter 1. I want to point out some kind of overview or some, some summary things about Zechariah. And as we move through this the next 10, 10 weeks or so, I'm hoping that we, we cover some difficult topics. But we, we are rooted in Christ. And so with that, we have a firm foundation of Christ. And, and maybe can have some disagreements, but in, in, in the overall thing can say, my life is hidden in Christ, and so my eyes are upon him. Remember Zechariah along with Haggai are two prophets. We call them minor prophets, uh, but they have this major, these major themes throughout them. Uh, they're these prophets who have been given words from the Lord, from the Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, to declare to the people of God. The people of God have been in captivity for a long time. They've been under rule, uh, under the lordship or the sovereignty of a king on earth. They've been held in captivity, and then that king released them from captivity, released them from slavery, and gave them the opportunity by, by earthly decree to go back and rebuild the temple of the Lord. And maybe you've been studying in Sunday school or remember from, from our weeks together here, the, the past weeks together here, uh, that the temple was a place that represented represented the presence of God. So it was really important. Uh, we want God's presence in this place this morning. We want God's presence on this world. We know that He's everything that there is right uh, he is it, and so we want, we desire His presence. And so if that means we have to build a building, our temple, for Him to be housed in, so be it. If that means that Christ can destroy that, and the temple of the Lord can be humans, created beings, Christ and God living in us to, through, the, through their spirit, then so be it. Whatever that looks like, like we want the presence of the Lord upon this earth. And so these post-exile people belonging to God, are trying to gather what it looks like to live as free people. We were under captivity. We were under slavery to some extent. And now we're free people. We're post-exile. We're people who belong to God and can live freely for God. And so what do we do with our time? Some of you folks remember this. Uh, that day after retirement, you retired one day, and then the next day you're like, what am I going to do with the rest of my, with the rest of my life? Uh, some of you school teachers realize that, like uh, come towards the end of May, and school is out. It's like, what am I going to do all summer? I mean, school will start back, but still, what am I going to do with this freedom that I, that I have now? And that's kind of what's happening with the people belonging to God. What do we do with our freedom? What do we do with the freedom that God has given us? In our context today, what do we do with the freedom that Christ has given us? As he's liberated us from, from death, as he's taken and removed sin from us, what do we do with this freedom that we now have in our lives today? I mean, Second, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord, there is freedom. And so we have this freedom because of the Spirit of the Lord. Because of Christ, we have freedom. So what do we do with that freedom? Well, what I want us to understand this morning is that 
in our freedom, just like the people belonging to God, we cannot forget first, before freedom, we cannot forget the sovereignty of God. God's sovereign, uh, being sovereign over everything. His control of everything. We cannot forget that. Overarching, over everything, this almighty God over everything. Uh, Morgan read it for us, Zechariah 14, 9, uh, that, um, that the Lord will be king over all the earth. And, and on that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. That he is over everything. So we cannot forget that. And then with our human responsibility, all of our human responsibility falls under God's sovereignty. Everything that we do, every step, every, every uh, uh, decision that we make, everything that we do should be, should be in line with God is Lord of my life. So, so with the people of God in their freedom, in living this post-exile, post-captive life, they had forgotten. They would forgotten that. They got wrapped up in their human responsibility, the things that they were doing or the, the, the just being these created beings and living free lives now. And they got consumed with that and forgot who the Lord God was or is or is going to be. So Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, or Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, we'll stop there, because already, and I think that we have to be good Bereans, good Bible studiers, we have to look at some really important things here. Uh, Times and dates aren't necessarily that important. 520 B.C. is about the time that this is being written. So, So about 500 years before Christ comes upon the earth. But there are some things that are really important. There's a phrase here that it begins with, The word of the Lord came to this prophet. What is shaping your life today? Whose words are shaping your life? Whose words are giving you a worldview Whose words are giving you a view of what culture should look like? Who is it that's shaping your decisions? Who is it that's that's, um, helping you make decisions upon how you live, how you answer, how you retire, how you parent, how you grandparent, how you husband or wife, how you do those things? Like, What is it that's shaping your life? Whose words are shaping you? I've, I've used this example before, and many of you who are going to Lubbock this week, you'll see this or in your next travels to Lubbock. There's a, a billboard right outside of uh, on the city limits of Brownfield. And uh, Abraham Lincoln's picture is on this uh, billboard. And he's, he's uh, given the uh, quote or attributed to the, the quote, the authorship of this quote, that a house divided shall not stand. I mean, do you know whose words those are? Those are the words of Jesus. Those are not the words of Abraham Lincoln, but he's given the credit for those. And so people are driving by saying, man, Abraham Lincoln, smart guy. He knows all about division. He knows about war. He knows about battles. And look at this great quote that he came up with. Is he the author of that? No, he's not the author of that. The word of the Lord is what's shaping or what's going to shape all these next 14 chapters. The word of the Lord. Whose words are these? They're going to shape the direction of these people. Whose words are these? The word of the Lord. And I would declare to you this morning or urge you that we would be people who are being shaped by God's word and God's word alone. And I know that's hard. Right? I know that, that for some who are, who are well along in years or who have matured much longer than I have, like we've been shaped by a ton of things. 
We answer uh, in ways that aren't biblical. We answer in ways to, to all of life's decisions in ways that are similar to God's Word but are not directed from God's Word. As people who understand the sovereignty of God, the lordship of Christ, the lordship of God over our lives, we're saying that he is king, he is boss, he's directing all of our actions, that his word is above everything. And if we can agree that God is in control, then he should be the one controlling, he should be the one directing, he should be the one commanding, and us listening to his instructions. So we are shaped by his words. This whole, these 14 chapters, are shaped by the, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to, to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Iddo, saying, saying these things. So let's start with Zechariah here also. Uh, these three people that are named here in, in, in identifying who Zechariah is, their three names mean something significant, I think. Their three names are important for us to, to remember or for, uh, important for us to, to look at. Zechariah, his name means the Lord remembers. Anytime in, 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 in Hebrew, when you see the word or at the end of a, a name, I-A-H or Ayah, it's pointing to the Lord. So anything, anytime you see like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Zechariah, anytime we see this, we know that their, their name has something to do with the Lord. In this case, his name means the Lord remembers. In his daddy's case, Berechiah, his name means the Lord blesses. And in the great granddaddy, uh, Ido, his name means in time. So, so add those three together and what do you have? The Lord remembers and blesses at his set time. The Lord remembers. The Lord blesses in his time. Over and over again, the four times that Zechariah is mentioned in this small book, 14 chapters, we are reminded of who he is. He is Zechariah. The Lord remembers. He's the son of Berechiah. The Lord blesses. He's the grandson of Iddo. That in his time, in his time, the Lord will do these things. The Lord does not forget. He keeps promises. He does not forget. He remembers. He blesses as he so desires. In his time, he remembers and does these things. I mean, it's interesting to me that this book is titled after the one that we give or attribute authorship to. We say that this book is the book of Zechariah, that he wrote these, these words down. But Zechariah wants us to remember that these words are not from him. These words are from the Lord. The Lord who remembers, the Lord who blesses, the Lord in his time will remember and bless according to his time, according to his will, according to his purpose. The book of Zechariah is titled by the author whose name is only mentioned, a simple little analogy here, his name is only mentioned four times in all 14 chapters. Zechariah's name is only mentioned four times in this short little book. But interesting enough, the Lord's name is mentioned 132 times. So it seems as if the subject of this book is not Zechariah or the people belonging to God, but it seems as if the subject of this book is the Lord. His name is mentioned more than anything else in this book. It's the Lord's book. It's the Lord who shapes. It's the Lord who's Lord over all, sovereign over all. And so with that, he must be the one who gets the glory or the honor or the lordship over everything. He is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of armies. He's the Lord of everything. He sets his rule over all. Verse 2, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. So therefore say to them, 
Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do you hear the redundancy? Do you hear the repeating there? Do you, do you hear that and say, why do we have to say it over and over and over again? And I think for the next 10 weeks, you're going to see that even more. The redundancy, the repeating saying things over and over and over again until we capture what's being said. Zechariah is trying to make sure that everyone that hears this, that everyone understands that this isn't just him speaking, isn't just his words, that these words that will shape our future, that, have should, that should have shaped our past, these words are from the Lord Almighty, the Almighty God, and he's speaking in power because he has power over everything, the Lord was very angry with your fathers. And so therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. It's this shaping of what's going to happen. It's this trusting in these words are from the most powerful thing that we could ever know. These words are not just from Zechariah, a lowly minor prophet, but instead these words are from God. And if we agree with this and we agree with Paul's, te- or, uh, yeah, Paul's teaching in 2 Timothy 3.16, then we agree that this scripture has been breathed out by God. That his breath entering into the author and write, or the writer and writing these things down, breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in all of righteousness. You want to live a righteous life? We must be shaped by God's word. And to be shaped by God's word, we must have a greater understanding of who God is. We must understand his power, his sovereignty, the fact that he is almighty. And I would ask this, are we really trusting in the lordship of God? Are we really trusting in that? I think that when things go well, that we do. When things are going well, we, we, we for sure say we are trusting in God. I mean, think about just uh, take God out of the equation for a moment. But when things are going well, we love to take credit, right? We love to give credit where credit is due and are often even take credit for things. When things aren't going so well, that's when we begin looking to blame someone else. I mean, think about this. Interview fans after winning a championship, state championship in high school or, or maybe even a junior high championship or a science Olympiad championship or a Super Bowl. Interview the fans there at the, at the game, let's say. And what would some of the statements be? Man, we... we we had a great, we had a great year this year. It was incredible. Look at how we did. Look how awesome we are. I was at every game. This championship, we, we, we were deserving of this. I mean, things just went exactly like we thought they would. I mean, this is a fan talking. Did you really have any, anything to do with any of the championship being won? Not necessarily. You rooted, you cheered, you clapped. You yelled, and it was great. But interview a fan after a losing season. Cowboys fans, familiar with this. Rain, Texas Rangers fans, for sure we are familiar with this. What are some of the things that we say when we have a losing season, when things aren't going the way that we expected them to go? Now, the coach is bad. Players are bad. The equipment manager, did you see him or her? They're bad. The commentator was the worst the hot dog was bad. I couldn't even go to any of the games because of how bad it was. I mean, I was afraid that if I went to the games that I would catch what they had and I would be bad. It was awful. And then we asked this final question after a losing season. Why? 
would the owner allow this to happen? What's wrong with Jerry Jones? What's wrong with him? Why would he allow this to happen? I think in our lives too, during stressful, bad moments in life, how often do we ask this question? Why, God? Why are you allowing these things to happen? I mean, do we ever in good times say the same thing? When a blessed time is happening, do we ever get on our knees and say in in tears, why, God, are you allowing these good things to happen? I feel like if we had a greater understanding of who God is, that despite good or bad, we would always be on our knees in desperation saying, why, God, are you so good? Why, God, are you allowing even this? Why, God, we would constantly, we would recognize his authority, his power, his sovereignty over all. Why aren't we asking those same questions in good times and bad, and bad times? Because I think that we don't see Christ or God as Lord over all things. We see him Lord over some things. We see him Lord over some times. We see him Lord over some parts of my life. We don't necessarily see him as Lord over everything. His sovereignty means he rules over everything. And I don't know how to teach it simply because I don't think it is a a simple subject to actually teach, to think that God is in control. I don't understand. And I'll get real emotional for a second, but I see it firsthand in some of the kids in my own house. And I think, why God? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow drugs and alcohol and prostitution and abortion and rape? Why would you allow these things to happen? Why, God? And never do I say on my knees and, and cry out to him, why would you save me? Why would you, why would you bless me so much with people who do love me? Why would you, we have a, a blurred vision. We don't have a, a greater understanding of the, the power and the sovereignty of who God is. I told Zach this week as we argued through some stuff discuss some things, which I won, by the way, right? We actually didn't have an argument. I'm just making a joke there. But as we talk through some things, I really feel like that if we truly felt, just in a simple statement, in a simple statement that God is in control, if we truly felt that, truly trusted in that, our entire lives would be so different. Our every moment, our attitudes, our vision, our heart, our stresses, our worries would be so different if we truly trusted that God is Lord over all. I mean, think about in our statement of faith. Think about in our statement of of confession. What what does Paul tell us in Romans 10.9? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I mean, in our statement of faith, in our confession... In our salvation moment, we we declare that Jesus is Lord of my life. I mean, you heard last week from a couple of gentlemen who were up in the baptistry that Jesus is Lord of their life. Which parts? Some of their life or all of their life? Do we truly believe in the Lordship of God? Do we truly even believe in the Lordship of Jesus, that he is directing all things, that he's seated at the right hand of God, that he is in control of all things, that he is Lord over all? I mean, Zechariah's purpose seems to be calling the people to a renewed understanding of the Lordship of God, that he is the Lord of lords, that there is no one above him. In fact, everything is below him. 
And then as God, He is all-powerful. And so that's the short of a long topic of the sovereignty of God. I mean, Zechariah begins as saying, this is all about God. I mean, we would love to, at the end of our life here on this earth, to claim authorship. Would we not? To say, this life was about me. To sign my name to it. To put my name on the tombstone saying, this, <laughs> this life that was lived was Matt Thackerson. Sign it. Most of you won't be able to read it because I have terrible handwriting, but someone will be able to decipher cursive at some point years later and say, oh, this life belonged to Matt Thackerson. The truth is, if we truly believe in the lordship of Christ, who does my life belong to? My life belongs to the Lord of my life, Jesus. And I know this is hard because, because what we're saying is that we're not just second, but we're last that our name doesn't even amount to anything, that we are unworthy servants only sent here to do the duty that Christ has given us, and in that we should live the blessed life under His Lordship and under His authority. And it is a difficult topic to talk about. Most of us in our Baptist roots begin to, to, begin to look at, at different sides of the camp. And I'm going to use two words that are awesome. They divide the church all the time. Calvinism and Arminianism. We don't even know those guys. We think sovereignty and we think Calvinism. We think unsovereignty or confusion or whatever it may be, and we think Arminianism. We want to find ourselves uh, in one side or the other. Does it, not, does it even matter? Will Christ one day say, let's, let's figure out who you are, which camp were you in? Well, I went to civils. So I don't even know what you're talking about. No, no, during your time on the earth, uh, there was a lot of great debate about these two ancient men and their theories on God and all these things. So which side of the, of the line were you on? And could, could we just have people who say, I just believe in Jesus, that Jesus is it, that he exists for, for me to have a right relationship with the Father, and I just want to follow Jesus and trust that he is Lord over all and that his commands are right for my life, his instruction is right for my life. That is my prayer for our church, that we would not get caught up on different sides, that we would not get caught up in different theories. I love my degrees in counseling, and there's all kinds of theories. And we can fit you into perfect scenarios and say you are this and you aren't this and you are this and all those things. When it comes down to it, kind of like the linemen from the Rams, at some point you're going to die. And at some point, you're going to recognize that Christ is Lord. If these words truly shape your life, then you will say, Christ is Lord of my life. And so what's, what's Zechariah's purpose? He wants the people to have an understanding, a renewedness of the, who the Lord is. And then in that, he gives human responsibility. He gives a moment where humans have to say, what do we do with this? This Lord, God, Lord over everything. What do we do with this Lord God? And the Lord, shaping their lives in verse 3, says this, Therefore say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Simply stated, our primary responsibility as humans is repentance. It is returning to the Lord. If there's any responsibility upon this earth that you and I have, it would be returning, repenting and returning to the Lord, recognizing that He is Lord. Maybe this passed by you this week. Maybe you strayed from the will of the Lord for your life. 
Maybe you forgot purpose. Maybe you got wrapped up in trying to do too many things and thinking that we have this great human responsibility to, to accomplish all these mighty, mighty things. And you forgot all about returning to the Lord, repenting, saying, I am not Lord. Instead, God, you are Lord. Do not be like your fathers, verse 4 says, to whom the former prophets cried out. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they now? And the prophets, do they live forever? I mean, God is saying things like, in this moment, do not forget that I was before time and will be after time if time could end. That I have always been. That you are a part of an ancient work. Not something that you've began on your own, but something that's been going on forever. That I have been before all things and will be after all things. And so remember that I am the Lord. Don't return to your parents. Don't return to the former prophets. Don't return to your evil ways. Don't return to your evil deeds. Instead, return to me, the Lord God Almighty. We have to remember that our first response as humans is to repent. It's to have a right relationship with the Father. And after we do that, Paul declares to us that we become ministers of reconciliation. That we would be the agents who are uh, making known the presence of the Lord to the world. That they may also have an opportunity to repent and to return to the Lord. We are, we are a part of the total response. We are not the total response. When we think that life is only about us and about our actions, we have forgotten that life is about God and Him receiving all glory. We are a part of the total response. We are not the total response. I mean, you, you know people that you wish could die for your sins. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The people that you're like, man, if there was anybody that I would want to sacrifice for my sins, I know those people. I've got them memorized. I've got a list of those people. And we would put in our place saying, Lord, accept them as a sacrifice for my sins. We would often even put ourselves in that place. Can I just be the one that dies for my own sins? Can I do something that I may uh, be right, uh, do something that would gain righteousness in your eyes, Lord? Is there something that I can do? Is there something that you can command of me that I can do that, would, that you might recognize my righteousness? The Lord answers throughout Scripture saying, Let God, the one who is righteous and holy, let him be the one who is acting. The Lord, the Lord God is a sovereign God that gives commands, instructions, directions to those who follow in order to impact the entire world in accordance to his will and the ultimate plan for life and life eternal. If we're truly swayed in one direction or the other, we would understand that we have this great responsibility. That we as people gathered this morning, many of us have understood who Christ is. We have seen His glory. We have an understanding of what freedom really looks like. We have to be renewed in our awareness of the sovereignty of God, the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Be renewed in our purpose, our human responsibility. Priority, returning to the Lord, repenting of that. And then we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, God the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. 
This comes from the Lord. The Lord doing this. Us transforming us into His Son's likeness. So that Christ may be glorified now and forever.